ところであなたたち何者ですか Hi, welcome to To the 90s and Beyond, a film podcast that looks at movies that came out in the 1990s as well as more recent films, films that came out after the 1990s that were sequels to or prequels to or spinoffs from or somehow are related in some form or fashion to those films of the 1990s. My name is Vince Leo. I am a film reviewer for many, many years, since the 1990s, actually. You can find all of my written work at quipster.net, Q W I P S T E R. Net. I do encourage you, if you happen to be on that site, to take a look at the other podcast that I do that is similar to this one, except it covers films of the 1980s. And there are films that come out before the 1980s that I also look at that build up to those films. It's called Around the World in 80s Movies. Check out that link at quipster.net. Today I'm going to be getting into this fourth and final look at Cube Films. Cube started as a film in the 1990s. It did have a prequel and a sequel and also a remake. And the remake is what I'm going to be talking about today. It actually is a very recent film. It came out officially, it lists as 2021 on IMDb. Most people did not see it in the United States or other parts of the world until about 2023. It is a Japanese remake of the original Canadian film. It's not rated, but it does have strong violence, kids in peril, and stuff like that. But、uh, the runtime is one hour and 48 minutes. The cast includes Masaki Okada, Takumi Saito, Kotaro Yoshida, Masaki Suda, Hikaru Toshiro, and Watanabe, and Tokyo Emoto. The director is Yasuhiko Shimizu, with a screenplay credited to Koji Tokuo. Now, if you listen to my podcast, Covering the original 1997 thriller called Cube, you would know that、uh, that original, done by Vincenzo Natale on a very low budget, it wasn't really popular in North America upon its theatrical release. Even in its native Canada, it didn't do particularly well. It was basically released on video, where it took on a life of its own to some people in the United States after a very, very limited run. It did eventually garner minor cult status among science fiction aficionados in North America. They saw it on home video, those rentals, and also it showed quite a few times on the Sci Fi Channel when it finally hit there as well and became popular for sci fi heads. Nevertheless, in many other parts of the world where it was still slowly rolling out, Cube was, in some countries, very, very popular. It became a phenomenon in various countries, in Europe and Asia specifically, due to its simple nature and its not really explaining everything behind what's going on. A lot of viewers from different cultures could superimpose their own meaning, and that gave it an appeal to very many people all around the world who see it in a different prism but still could put their own meaning toward it. There were follow up efforts, as I mentioned earlier 2002's Cube 2 Hypercube, 2004's Cube Zero. Those did not fare as well as the original Cube. 
It became obvious to Lionsgate, who was really controlling the uh, rights, at least the North American rights and some of the world distribution rights, that if there was going to be any kind of continuation to Cube, it would probably have to go in an entirely different direction, likely with a reboot altogether. Now, original creator Vincenzo Natale, he did not want any part of those sequels, those prequels, as I mentioned during the reviews for those particular films. Subsequent attempts to reboot Cube in the United States, he didn't want any part of either because he claims that the studios seem insistent on trying to do a straight rehash of his original, and it was not going to have anything new to say. Stalling out at any turn, efforts at another Cube film were put on the back burner at Lionsgate many times over many years. Finally, in 2011, Lionsgate did dust it off for a push a sincere push following the diminishing returns for its Saw franchise. They thought that Cube could pick up where Saw left off. They thought it would be worth trying to reboot the Cube idea into a feature. The most recent Saw movie at that time was Saw 3D. They thought, well, maybe they could take that 3D concept and apply it to Cube and kick off a new series called Cube 3D. However, just as soon as it was announced publicly, all trace of that production seemed to drop out. There was a seeming lack of interest, of enthusiasm from the public that made them not want to necessarily make the investment. Still, about a few years later, it did resurface yet again. Lionsgate rekindled the reboot plans, this time with an effort from producers Roy Lee, Roy Lee, the executive producer of The Ring and The Grudge. John Spates also was co-producing. Spates, known primarily as the co-writer of movies like Prometheus and sometime later uh, Doctor Strange for Marvel. Vincenzo Natale was, again, asked to come back to direct. He was not interested, though. And so they had to do a search for another director. And they proceeded eventually with Iranian-American filmmaker and music video director Saman Kesh. And he was set to direct from an original story pitch that he had in mind. And the title for that project was tentatively called Cubed. Lionsgate was impressed with Kesh's sci-fi short film, Controller, and they felt that he was kind of uniquely positioned to do well in bringing some of the themes surrounding artificial intelligence and humanity and this emergence of an all-digital race that he had in mind for Cubed. Kesh wanted Cubed to take place in the same world as the original Cube, but with all new characters. Phil Gawthorne was assigned scripting duties off of Kesh's original story idea. Vertigo Entertainment production head Adam Stone was slotted to oversee that project. However, about a month after this announcement, it went dormant yet again. At least until 2018, when Lionsgate decided to start from scratch and try to go entirely in a new direction that completely would be a reimagining of the original, not set in the same universe, but just a complete rehaul. Unfortunately for Lionsgate, they would be beaten to the punch 25 years after Cube's release in Japan. That was one of those places that the original Cube performed best when it was released back in the late 1990s. They pushed forward with Cube's first official remake beginning in 2019. The company Shochiku agreed to produce as well as distribute the film for Japan and the makers of the film promised an all-new original story, but with higher production values and a few new twists to lay upon that original Natali concept. Unlike the Cube sequels, this time Natali signed on as an active collaborator 
for the first time on any Q project since his first film. Natali was already familiar with the producers. Personally, he liked them. He considered them friends, and so he wanted to help them out. He felt that a Japanese filmmaking team on top of this were going to bring a fresh and special cultural approach that any American team would lack. Natali, for many years, had observed that Japanese audiences had taken readily to the first cube because their culture already emphasizes the kind of simplicity and compactness in design that is inherent to the cube concept. Graham Manson, he was one of the co-writers of the original cube, he also further surmised that it had a particular appeal for Japanese audiences because they related to its overwhelming sense of claustrophobia. Living in box homes or work boxes or capsule hotels, you know, Japanese culture is kind of built with this emphasis on small space living. And Natali liked the filmmaker's understanding here of what the appeal of the original cube was all about, but also he enjoyed the way that they were finding an original backstory and themes to lay over that original premise. Natali gave these Japanese filmmakers a lot of advice. The most important, he felt, was that audiences, what they liked most about his version of Cube, was that they felt like they were themselves in the Cube, along with all of the other characters. And audiences further enjoyed observing these characters and seeing their developing relationships with each other and how their collaboration or even their conflict would affect how they proceeded throughout the cube. Audiences were not necessarily clamoring for knowing all of the mechanics involved in the cube structure or in the politics of why it exists, but they did enjoy the characters and they enjoyed the concept. Natali felt that the Japanese filmmakers here, they were readily agreeing with him in this concept, and they promised that they were going to build up their characters by showing how their cube experiences were going to trigger them into soul-searching about their pasts, and that would give that premise a little bit more character depth. Shochiku initially sought an American director to take over, beyond Natali, who was American-born, but Canadian primarily, but finding an American director just didn't seem to work out, so Natali encouraged them. They should really go with a Japanese director instead, and that was mostly because Natali wanted their version of Cube to be culturally distinct. An American was likely going to do just what Lionsgate did, which was regurgitate the original film, but a Japanese-born and raised director was not going to make the same movie as Natali's, even if they deliberately tried. Natali felt that his cube was uniquely his voice as a Gen Xer experiencing angst in the 1990s. Natali knew that the Japanese enjoyed moral ambiguity in their horror in ways that Americans don't, and the Japanese were willing to take these horror stories into places where Hollywood just wouldn't dare to go. So Natali agreed to become part of the director search process, and he lobbied hard for them to go with Yasuhiku Shimizu, whose prior film called Vice, Natali admired for how strange and poetic it was in a very wonderful way. Shimizu was familiar with Natali's cube, he had not seen it at the time of its release, which was when he was about 16 years old, but it did make the rounds in Japan, and it had become something of a cultural phenomenon in that country. Chimizu was living out in the country where there weren't any movie theaters, and he personally didn't have any interest in movies at that time anyway, but he still had heard of Cube. He felt that this was a movie that transcended movies and eventually saw it sometime later and enjoyed it very much. As the new Japanese project began taking shape, Natali took a more passive approach because he didn't want to impose his vision 
over their own, he especially wanted to see how Shimizu would take these core ideas into an entirely new direction. Now, what was new is that they were going to introduce a clash of generations in the themes of this new cube, specifically in how the older generation tends to mistreat the younger in Japanese society, and that creates societal dysfunction. Shimizu cast the film to represent many different generations and various eras that hold unique societal outlooks. In Japan, the burden lies traditionally on the young to take care of an aging population, and that has caused some consternation and conflicts among more recent decades between the young and the old in Japanese society. Natali loved all of this. He liked the way that Shimizu knew that the human drama was what propelled a cube story and that he was going to emphasize an emotional core. You know, that key to a cube film, Natali felt, was not to over-explain and to continue to maintain the idea that there are infinite possibilities. This new cube is going to continue the tradition of cube traps. Some of the cube rooms within this cube maze were going to have traps that would be very shocking whenever they're triggered. Now, Natali didn't like the way that the traps were used in the cube sequels by Lionsgate because they seemed a little too magical instead of keeping it very limited and grounded. And he emphasized that the Japanese should kind of keep it within the realm of possibilities. Shimizu wanted the premise of Cube to resemble the original, but also wanted it to feel much more inclusive and to draw in wider audiences than the first one did. So he felt that if he upped the emotional element of the characters and downplay the mathematics involved in their trying to find whether a room is safe or whether it's dangerous to enter, that his movie was not going to be bogged down with a lot of things that many people would find little connection to. Shimizu consulted with Natali pretty much at every turning point. They developed an excellent camaraderie through the filmmaking process. And for inspiration, Shimizu also further turned to classics of Japanese literature like Kobo Abe's The Woman in the Dunes, as well as The Boxman, which both explore themes regarding the claustrophobic nature of Japanese society, especially when combined with a sociological critique on top of it. Shimizu approached the direction of the film as if he were making it for a small theater in terms of how to utilize lighting as well as other elements to stage the drama. He felt it would be very similar in that way to a modern version of a Japanese one-act play. He wanted audiences viewing the film to feel like they're the seventh character inside this cube along with the others. And he wanted this film to appeal to all ages because he wanted as many people interested in seeing this story as possible. Shimizu saw within his cube a theme that humans change whenever their environment changes. Detached from any known reality, humans become increasingly detached from what normally centers them, and these new facets begin to emerge in their personalities when they're not subjected to societal scrutiny. Now, to make sure that the cube environment was going to work, they built first a miniature model of the cube room, and then they vigorously ran tests to the design to make sure that it was going to work when they made the actual structure. Unlike the first film, which was shot entirely within one room, this time they wanted to use two rooms side by side and a half room above it, along with a movable wall, and this would allow them to do things that they really couldn't with the first cube film, such as shoot from any angle that they wanted to, and they further made it a little bit more spacious. Each cube was about a foot longer per side than the cubes from the original film. 
Shimizu and the production team brainstormed the nature of each of the traps that they were going to use in the film, inspired primarily by the ones that were concocted by Natali in the 1997 original. He, in fact, gave them full blessing to replicate those traps if they wanted to or modify them as they saw fit. They storyboarded all of the sequences that they were going to use in advance. To minimize confusion in the filmmaking process, they developed additional small-scale models using a larger number of cubes to plan out camera angles and movements. A shooting order chart was also created to keep the schedule tight and on track, and then detailed documents explicitly described each individual cell as well as how the characters would move through and between the hatches. Natali, as the creative consultant, also gave advice about the plot framework, in particular in regard to the design of the traps. Natali was very impressed with the new cube designs, and he especially nerded out when he saw that the designs included fractals, something that appealed to his, his geeky sensibilities. He continued to try to be careful not to be too intrusive in the filmmaking process. He felt he should only employ a light touch in order to keep things feeling original, although Natali did agree, by their request, to design the very last trap entirely. So the last trap you see in the film, if you watch this film at all, is completely conceived by Natali as kind of a way to say thank you for Natali for being on board. Now for other aspects of the Japanese version of Cube, they collaborated with Ryogo Matsumaro. Matsumaro is a, a master of constructing puzzles, especially known for Nazotoki puzzle games. He's the founder and president of the Riddler Corporation that constructs all of these puzzles. Matsumaru was incredibly happy to work on this remake. He happened to be a major fan of the original Cube. It kind of stoked his mind for puzzles. Matsumaru toured the filming site. He helped concoct some of the more elaborate puzzles found within. As with Cube, three three-digit numbers do adorn the entrance to each Cube door. Eventually, the inhabitants have to decipher the, these numbers and those offer clues as to which rooms have traps based on prime numbers and this Cartesian equation that denotes where the cube is within the structure. LED lighting this time was going to be used to light the interiors instead of external through you know gel panels. This LED lighting could emulate you know the, the lighting within the cube, but also it could be controlled externally like those fancy lighting rigs that you would find at live concerts. The same concept. The colors of the lights could be changed with a simple setting on a computer. The person primarily in charge of the lighting was Tatsuyu Nakajima, who also works on New Year's Eve TV special music competitions like NHK Kohaku Utagasen. It was Nakajima's first job working on a feature film. Natali praised this lighting, especially in how the cubes react to the emotions of the characters within the room at the time. That would further had a revelation that there's some sort of experiment here at play, kind of a case study of sorts of these characters. Natali also praised them for keeping things interesting by changing the colors of each cube to give the appearance of movement. And that was something that Cube 2 failed to do by making every room white. He felt that that was the wrong way to go, even though that was his original concept for his original cube. Whenever they had a birthday celebration on the set, they used the cube lighting to set rainbow colors and make it kind of a festive party atmosphere. The actors, as well as the crew, they enjoyed, as much as they could, a luxurious waiting room when they didn't need to be inside the cube to do any kind of performance acting or whether in front of or behind the camera. They wanted 
to emphasize a positive and fun atmosphere when they weren't acting. Shimizu felt that having a fun set was going to make the work part of their jobs better. You know, these actors and a lot of this crew needed relief from the grind of shooting in this small room every day. So they had kind of a circle of entertainment. They had fun in the dressing rooms. They had fun in the waiting rooms. They bided their time doing things like training their brains with things like Rubik's Cubes. As far as the characters in this film, they're completely different from the first film. And on top of that, there's an original story here, even though it copies a lot of the same general setting as the first cube. Tokyo Emoto, he's the character we see first, just like Natali's original. There's a, one character who becomes the first victim of the traps, kind of sets the stage for all of the traps henceforth. The trap here was dubbed the dice stake by the crew because the character finds a cube-like chunk at the center of his torso punched out. Masaki Okada plays the part-time worker known as Shinjo Ochi. And during off time, Okada, he was a, a former teacher, he helped young Tashiro, who plays Uno Chiyo, with his junior high school homework. And Watanabe, the only female member of the cast, she happens to be the daughter of international actor Ken Watanabe. She plays organizational employee Kai Asako, and to stay in shape, Watanabe brought fitness games that she could play in her off time, and she shared those games with fellow actors so that they could have collaborative fun as well as continue their workouts. Takumi Saito plays mechanic Hiroshi Ide. The script originally included a backstory to Ide about having an ailing wife that was shot for the film, but a lot of it was edited out in post-production. They rationalized that a painful backstory could still be implied among the characters through their facial expressions, and Ide was going to be desperate to get out so he could help his wife. Child actor Satoshi Yamatoki, he plays Hiroto Goto, who was the suicidal younger brother of engineer Yuichi Goto. We see him in flashbacks. Goto played by Masaki Suda. Suda brought with him a foot mat and a puzzle game and a lot of other items to pass the time with amusement. There was a big emphasis here to make sure that they were having fun while they were there. Meanwhile, Kotaro Yoshida, he brought eight newborn puppies into the actor's waiting room so that they could all play with. Everybody had fun behind the scenes, trying to counteract the dourness of the story and the hot and claustrophobic environment while they were acting. The actors felt deep darkness in the script, so there was that continued concerted effort to keep all of their off time very light while they didn't have to act out this somber story. Despite every effort to keep up their morale, the cast still expressed afterward that there was a difficult nature shooting within the cube. They admitted that after spending hours in the cube, they felt very fatigued doing this day in and day out. And they, when it was all said and done, they were happy to have escaped when the shoot was over. Kyle Cooper, he's a, a veteran title designer. He did films like Seven and Mission Impossible, some of the Marvel movies, all of the Spider-Man films. He was hired for the opening credits to Cube. The theme song that was made for this called Cube, by Jen Hoshino. When it was finally released, it received millions of views on YouTube. It was a, kind of a phenomenon onto itself. There was a keychain mini version of a, a Rubik's Cube created to promote the film, sold at location screening the movie. Further promotion included a Rubik's Cube challenge between the cast members to be the first to solve a Rubik's Cube. So they kind of had a fun promoting this film. After it was released, Natali gave his blessing to the film. He said he loved this Japanese version. 
He felt that they very much understood what made the original work, and they were able to nail the fundamentals of the original cube while also coming up with a very refreshing design aesthetic. He liked that it was very different to his own film, and he called Shimizu a clever director in the way that he incorporated societal issues into the mix to tell a more layered story that would have extra appeal not only to Japanese filmgoers, but to people of other cultures that might be able to relate to the story. Now, as far as what I personally think about Cube, now I'm uncertain whether it plays better for Japanese audiences. So if you're Japanese or happen to be very involved in Japanese culture, this might provide an extra dimension that is lacking for audiences like American audiences like me. Because when I watched this version of Cube, I felt that it was lacking a lot of that suspense. And I didn't, even though they had a lot of emphasis on characterizations and trying to build up their backstory, I didn't really care about the characters in this version of Cube. And I especially labored to find any interest in some of the flashback sequences that are encumbered by a lot of heavy melodrama and very thick sentimentality. I didn't relate to these characters, mostly because I didn't particularly like them. Some of the character arcs, I feel, do devolve into an overly expressive cartoonish quality that undercuts some of the realism that I would have liked in this version of the film. There is more budget to play with. It's a good-looking movie, lighting-wise. The design aesthetic is good. It looks and sounds very crisp, very clean, very bright, especially when you compare it to the original. But I don't think that novelty newness of the original concept is here. The characters are just not as interesting. The plot is just not as compelling. So I still prefer Natalie's original film. All of these efforts to try to replicate it just do not have that uniqueness to it, and any effort to try to expand it beyond the original concept only weighs it down further into making it less fun. And unfortunately for that, I'm only going to give Cube two stars out of four. Two stars on my scale means that it's lacking something vital that keeps me from recommending it to most people, and I feel that, among many things, it's really lacking suspense, and that's primarily because I do feel Despite every effort involved, we just don't really care about the characters. And you end up caring more about what the cube structure is and why it was designed. Answers it doesn't really give you. There are some hints, especially toward the end. But, but eventually, if you're more interested in the mechanics of it rather than the characters in it, that defeats the purpose, I think, of a cube film. And so for that, I can only give it two stars out of four. Now there was a book released in Japan called Novel Cube Continued that depicts what happens to the first film. It's kind of like a prequel to this version of Cube. The character played by Tokio Emoto at the beginning of the film, we learn how he comes to be in the Cube as well as his efforts to escape that was authored by Riku Kurosaki. So I guess you can check that out if you you know can read Japanese and get a little bit of a continuation or a background to this story. As I mentioned, it was released in 2023 in the United States and other parts of the world. Sinodime did acquire the American rights to the Japanese version here. They wanted those rights to exclusively show the film on its horror streaming platform that they own called Screenbox. If you happen to have that, you probably will find this. Lionsgate continues to take pitches for new versions of Cube. It still is going on at some point. They just can't quit it. They just continue to want to make it. Maybe the, the lack of success of this Cube will either spur them on to make their own, or maybe they'll realize that there's not as much of an audience there as they thought, but they still think the concept is viable and it's uh, very inexpensive because there's only really one room. Thank you everyone for listening to my overall look at the Cube films. 
if Lionsgate ever comes out with another version of Cube, or maybe another country like Japan continues to make this as a concept, I will continue to showcase it here on To the 90s and Beyond as stemming from that original Cube concept from the 1990s. As far as what I'm going to be covering for the next film, where I'm going to kind of take off of Cube to another science fiction concept in which you have somebody waking up in this environment with amnesia, not knowing why he is there or what's going on and having to decipher a way out. From 1998, a year after the original Cube was originally filmed, a movie by Alex Proyas called Dark City, which is a cult film unto its own, but with higher production values than any of these Cube films, starring Rufus Sewell, William Hurt, Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly, and many others. So check out 1998's Dark City if you haven't checked it out before or if you haven't seen it in a while and you'll be properly prepared for that retrospective look on the next episode. Until then, if you want to get in contact with me and talk to me about the Cube films or any of the films in the 1990s that you do want me to get to at some point in the near future, you can find my contact information at my website, quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net, links to my Twitter feed, Facebook page, Instagram. I should call it X instead of Twitter, I know, but I do recommend emailing me if you want to get in touch with me. You can find the email address for me at my website, quipster.net. Until next time that you hear from me, thank you everyone for listening and joining me as we continue to journey to the 90s and beyond.